Welcome to the latest edition of the Shukri Rights Podcast with your host, Shukri Rights. This guest here, I have listened to this man for years on ESPN Radio, truth be told, because I listened to Sunday Night Baseball and then the postseason. I've heard this man nationwide wherever I lived. This man, you recognize his voice as soon as you hear it. Studio host and broadcaster for ESPN Radio. You've heard him on Baseball Tonight, pre and post game, during the playoffs, as well as the NBA Finals. Kevin Winter joins the podcast. Kevin, what's going on? What's up, my man? And uh, and yes, thank you for all that. As Ian Fitzsimmons likes to say from ESPN Radio, if I'm doing it, it's a big game. Yes, I just patted myself on the back, but guess what? <laughs> but, guess, but guess what? Hang on. I kind of like that. And I like the fact – that's why I do games. I love games. I love doing games. And mm-hmm. for, if you're all over the country and you're hearing me, damn, bro, I like that stuff. Yeah. I like that. I like that's where we're at. Oh yeah, you know what's we you know what's wild. Like I grew up in New York, yep. so I, so I, so back in the day before um ninety eight seventy ESPN, it was ten fifty ESPN radio. When I moved to Jersey, um I did, did you still you still got the ESPN radio affiliate out of Philly, um yeah. but but uh, but but at the beginning like maybe the first couple of years was out of Philly, but then like ten fifty finally expanded its uh, its radio signal and then. Uh, when I moved to Philly and then when I moved to Boston and whatnot, like it was, it was like, this man's voice is in, it's inescapable. You can hear it. You can hear ESPN <laughs> radio nationwide. There's no running away from this man, but, but, but like, but in all seriousness, um, like you, you, you've done such a tremendous job for, for so long doing, um, uh, taking care of the studio responsibilities and, and so forth. So let me start there. Like what goes into prepping for like uh, for like the pregame and postgame, whether you're doing uh, Major League Baseball or the NBA on the SPN radio? Well, so it goes to first off, I got I don't want to say I got lucky. I was fortunate because when I came into ESPN radio in 2004, mm-hmm. there were we had a very deep roster and all I was was a sports center anchor at the time. And we had guys like Papa Cozy. Yep. We had Dan, the, the great Dan Davis. You still had John Stashower. You had Mark Kestisher. You, and so there's four mm-hmm. on top of Doug Brown, Christine Lisi, who are still there. Then you throw me into the mix. So I'm at least seven. Now let's add Jay Reynolds at night. So he's I'm now down to eight. I mean, I'm like eighth or ninth on the totem pole at the time. Wow. And, you know, little by little, we were doing a lot. And at the time we put the NIT basketball tournament on Internet. Think about mm. this, everyone. We would put the NIT on just internet radio. Back when internet play-by-play, Shakuri, was something big, right? Yeah. So we put it on internet radio, and they say, hey, we need a studio host. We're going to give you a shot. Let's see what you got. Mm-hmm. And I did it, and I was good. And, and I, I, you know, I didn't break anything. I kept the needles moving. It was solid. We kept the flow going. The more I got comfortable, the more it helped Mark Kestisher. Because Mark Kestisher could then move out of the studio where he was. He had, he kind of had this foothold of studio host. And he could go do play-by-play, which is his love. But the reason you're allowed that is because you got someone like me. So I kind of slide in. And next thing you know, I'm hosting everything. In terms of preparation, it's interesting because we have either a half hour or an hour pregame show. Mm-hmm. If we're an hour pregame show... We are there three hours before we even go on the air. Yeah. So we're prepping. I'm recording features. I would sometimes write a feature. We get all these stat packets. Uh, excuse me, stat packets that you know describe the game, give little uh, nuggets about the game. Maybe it's a, we, we we sometimes want to focus on the game itself, but if it's a game in the midseason, we want to focus on the whole ball of wax. 
whatever the sport it is. So let's say we're doing an NBA game in February. We're not focusing on the Lakers and the Nets. We're focusing on the league as a whole. What's going on with the league? The more you whittle it down to the playoffs, we then start isolating team by team, game by game. Because sometimes in the middle of the season, we're not all interested in just that one game. Everyone wants to know what's going on with the league. So that's kind of our philosophy. We use it for every sport. NFL is different. NFL is 16, 17 weeks, now 18 weeks, mm-hmm. in and of themselves. But we, um, you go through as much information as possible. You get as many stats without overloading the listener. The one thing you can do and the one thing I've learned, mm-hmm. if I start giving stats – Can I give them well enough that you, the listener, are driving in your car or wherever you are? You're out for a walk in the park. You've got it on your app, wherever. Do you sit there and go, wait, what the hell did he just say? (laughs) Are you doing math on your fingers trying to keep up with what I'm saying? If you are, we got a problem. If I can give you numbers that let you sit there and let let it compute in your brain and go, okay, I get it. I understand what he's what he's saying then we're good. But if I'm giving you too much information, information overload. As much as I'm telling you everything I know, that's bad for you because you can't compute. And by the time you do, I'm two or three steps down the line. I've already gone, I'm already on another topic and now you're lost. Mm. And you're like, wait a minute, what is he saying? So it's, you know, we do a lot of, we plan it out carefully. We want to get good guests. We don't want to have a guest for the sake of having a guest. We want to have timely guests. We want to give you information. There may be things that I want to say, and I know that the guest will say. I then have to ask the question in the dumbest way possible. I know the answer. Mm -hmm. I know the answer as to why. But I'm going to ask the guest why because I need him to say it or, or her. I need the guest to say the answer so you as the listener can understand it and know that it's coming from them. It's not me kind of teeing them up and saying it. I think in the talk show realm, you've got people who say, Hey, here's my thought. What's yours as the expert? Yep. No, that's not the way we want to do it. Mm -hmm. You are the expert. You tell me why. And then I, if I have time, I'll say, you want to know what I agree. If I disagree, it leads into good discussion. If we all agree, we then move on to the next topic. And the other thing we want to do, Scary, we want to make everything, we want to make it quick and moving. We want to make it snappy. We want things to move. That if you're listening along, all of a sudden, you might have heard eight minutes, and it seems like three. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, and we're going to do another eight minutes. And next thing you know, we're ready for first pitch. We're ready for tip-off. We're ready for kickoff. Whatever it is, we want it to move. The thing I hate the most is stagnant radio. Stagnant radio is sound asleep, you know, it's mm-hmm. stuff like that. I don't want that. We want to make things move. And my biggest thing, I want to make it fun. I tell everyone but Latin, during the, we have what's called our countdown. You know, the Major League Baseball and ESPN radio will start in 60 seconds from Mark. When I get inside of 20 seconds, I hit the talk back button and I tell the entire studio, have fun, everyone. It's the last thing I say, have fun. We want to have fun. We want the listeners to enjoy it. That is incredible in terms of the cadence and the time and as well as how everything, especially when you're doing pregame and, and postgame or whatever the case may be, 
it has to be a mark that you have to hit every single time. Yeah, to an extent. The only mark I have to hit on a pregame show Mm -hmm. is right before the break, before we toss out to site. So, for instance, we're going to – let's say the game, an NBA Finals game is going to tip at 9-10. By the way, here's a hint for everyone listening. When they tell you the game starts at 8, the game never starts at 8, everyone. Just know that. It it never, ever, ever starts at 8. You want to know what time it starts. Feel if I'm on the broadcast, feel free. Just tweet me, Kevin at Kevin P. Winter. Kevin, what time is the game really starting? A TNT game, it ain't starting till 820. Okay. Yep. And the second game ain't starting till 1050. At least 1050. And we have what's called slides. That's a different story for another day. But anyway, mm-hmm. I only have one mark to hit. I have to hit that last break because then I want to toss it out to our broadcast team. Football, basketball, baseball, whatever it is, with four minutes to go before the game starts to give our broadcasters on site four minutes to now prep all of you with their thoughts on the game, to do starting lineups, to do this, to do that, to execute whatever features they've got to do. We give them four minutes. So now reverse the clock. We have a one minute, we have a four minute break. I've got to hit that break on time. That's the only thing I have to hit on time. In your view, what is the definition of stagnant radio and why does it drive you off the wall so much? Stagnant radio to me is just boring conversation. Mm. Names, numbers, you and I want to say going on for a while without hitting any audio, without hitting any play-by-play, just something to change it up. If I'm just talking and we're just talking, we can go on for a while, but on a for me, a stagnant broadcast is I do not want to turn it into a talk show. Mm. A talk show on a Monday through Friday is almost designed, a midday show is designed for the person who's sitting in their cubicle or for the salesperson who's driving around. I don't want that. I want this to be, to move, to give you different pieces of still explaining the game but I don't want it to just linger and go to a lull. I want audio. I want fast pace. You can hear by my voice. I'm a high, I'm a high energy kind of guy. That's all. And by the way, I've been told many times, yo, gear it down. I can gear up. I can go first gear to sixth gear in a heartbeat. That's not good. Sometimes I sometimes mm. got to gear it down. Right. We want, I want to stay in a nice cruising pace. Stagnant radio is if we're all sitting in first gear. We're sitting in first gear and I'm talking to you about the Lakers and LeBron James and LeBron has done this. If I'm reading a box score, Oh, if I'm reading a box score, it's bad. We're we're having a bad day. If I'm (laughs) reading a box score, we're having a bad day. It's a bad pregame show. It's a bad postgame show. You all in this day and age, you're all going to know you can pull it up. You know, ESPN app, one app, one tap, whatever it is, whatever you're saying is, you, anyone, any listener and any sports fan can pull up the box score in a second. I don't need to give you the box score. I need someone to tell you why. I need, I need me to tell you why. I need me to give you the highlight as to why. You know, 0 for 6 from downtown in the final three minutes cost the, cost the Brooklyn Nets, cost the Celtics the game against the Nets. Here's one of them. Hmm. Jason Tatum, on a, I, I cut a play-by-play. I have our associate producer cut a play-by-play of Tatum on a, on a one-on-three, pulls up for three. 
that's a terrible shot. We need to explain that to the listener. And if I have an analyst like I did for the finals when I had PJ Carlissa and Monica McNutt, you ought to see them on their on the, you know, if they were in person together, they're screaming. They're like, what the hell shot is that? And I know right away, okay, that's a shot that we need to go back and get because they're like, that's a terrible shot. You're also going to see it on TV. This is it, people who know a game better than me. I know every game. I don't know it that well. Like, I can't see a game the same way a former player or a former coach does. Mm. I can see a game because I've watched it all my life. Just like you. You've watched games. You know when things are different. Coaches and players can go deeper into certain things. Absolutely. Let me give an example. During the NBA Finals, John Barry, Doris Burke, PJ, and Monica uh, were all over the Milwaukee Bucks three-point shots on a, th- a three-pointer from Milwaukee that never touched the paint. Now, why is that a big deal? Creates ball movement creates defensive movement if the ball never touches the paint and milwaukee takes a three on a ball that never does it it's a bad shot some of them go in but for the most part for milwaukee they did it and it almost cost them the series things like that that's kind of that's what we want to explain and i know it's kind of went off on a tangent with like six different things for you right there oh, oh no it's, it's amazing it's amazing to, to actually listen and be able to grasp because i'm also also being a radio man like it's for me this is like this is joy like i absolutely get a great deal of pleasure listening to just the small little nuances that yes. otherwise most people would never understand so for right. me it, I, I i love it and, and that's part of it you know that's why we tried something this year for the nba finals um it usually is we would used to have three a three-person broadcast booth things have happened differently the last two years because of covid Mm. But it would be Hubie Brown, Mark Kestisher, John Barry, and myself up in the up on site, uh, and that was it. So we'd have some byplay between the analysts. Well, this year we had Doris Burke and John Barry calling the game with Mark Kestisher. So we had a three-person play-by-play booth, yeah. but then we had a three-person studio booth. So it's myself, PJ Carlissimo, and Monica McNutt, mm. and we're going through, and you get different perspectives. You know, Monica's thing during the playoffs was pace, pace of game, pace, move the ball, quick, 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 not too quick, but have tempo. You hear that word all the time, tempo, right? Yep. That's something that we all kind of, everyone's got something different. And the more ideas and the more eyes that you have on a game, the better everything is. Now, speaking of the NBA finals, because there was two major storylines that I noticed that that really stood out to me as the series progressed. Now, in the first two games, it looked at, to me as if that Chris Paul had the world going to, for him. Offensively, there was rhythm. He was able to maintain possession of the basketball. Devin Booker was a factor, and as well as um, DeAndre Ayton was able to establish his presence in the paint. But when the series shifted to Milwaukee, Milwaukee made an adjustment defensively, which I thought impacted the series in terms of Chris Paul being able to be an offensive threat, which he wasn't after game two, and as well as Chris Middleton having more of an impact as the series went on, both offensively and defensively. So my question to you is, what changed in between games two and three that led to Milwaukee being able to figure out Phoenix offensively? Let me go a couple of different ways here. Middleton was better in every series he played during this, these playoffs in games three beyond. 
he was not good in games one and two. It was almost like his own yeah. feeling out process. Games three on, he got more comfortable. Almost like I'm going to see what the defense is giving and what the defense is doing, and we'll go from there. DeAndre Ayton also, I think he got a little softer. He wasn't, he was never a force like the aggressive Charles Barkley style. And I know it's a totally different body makeup, but just under, listen to the, what I'm saying with the Barkley used to have a force when he went up, right? Mm-hmm. He had a, he had an intimidating presence. DeAndre Ayton never had that, but DeAndre Ayton would find space. That space got taken away. Something else Milwaukee did, they switched. And when they were switching those screen rolls, they would prevent the easy runs to the hoop. They would almost be like they gave you the outside jump shot. Now, that's dangerous if you're giving Booker and, and CP3 an outside jump shot. But they were able to do it. And this is where I loved having P.J. Carlissimo because he could see it better and he could explain it better. Mm-hmm. They didn't get caught in bad matchups on a switch. The idea of a screen roll of a pick, I want to create as the offense. I want to create a bad matchup from my guy coming off the screen. So if you as the defender, if you're going under the screen, mm-hmm. I want my point guard, let's say Booker's the top of the screen. He's running it with Dayton. I want Booker to be able to have a jump shot. Well, if you're switching with Middleton, Middleton is there. He's got his hand up. That's now a harder shot for Booker to get off. Also, Phoenix wasn't hitting as many open shots. Remember those first couple of games, Phoenix hit everything? Yeah. That, uh, that never happened again. Part of it, they just missed. Part of it, in today's day and age, they just missed jump shots. That was one of the things that happened. Um, Milwaukee would get tight on their defense. Milwaukee would also, they would surround DeAndre Ayton. They never let Ayton beat him after games one and two. They ate him alive. They would surround him with Lopez. Bobby Portis, another big man. They got tough on DeAndre Ayton. So there's like three different answers all mixed in there. Well, those are all little different keys. And a lot of them are focusing on defense. The offensive side, Middleton was just patient. Middleton was just patient because Doris, uh, everyone was on it. The the Phoenix backcourt of Paul and Booker completely outplayed Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton in games one and two. I mean, you needed it was one of those guys. You're on the side of a milk carton right now. And if you don't, if you don't show up in Milwaukee for game three, we got trouble. We got trouble on the horizon. Well, they did. They win by 20 or whatever it was. I think it was like, yeah, actually it might've been 20. It was, it was double digit, but yeah. Yeah. Double digit. Yeah. Big time. Um, when that happens, things changed. So now holiday gets a little confidence. Middleton gets rolling. You find out where you can get your shots. Mm. Um, and it goes, you know, Milwaukee realized if we get ball movement, we get the ball into the paint, we kick it back out. You don't need Giannis at the top of the key. Giannis is best driving if he's coming off the wing or from the top, like from half court straight on down. Mm. If Giannis is at the top of the three and he's trying to drive the lane, that's an easy swallow. That's an easy collapse for the defense. If Giannis is coming from the sides, then all of a sudden you got problems because now where's the help coming? And if he dishes and kicks, all of a sudden we got an open layup or we got an open shot with someone else. So that was Milwaukee did some very nice things on the adjustment side that kind of just stemmed the tide and flipped that whole series. Giannis Antetokounmpo became more offensively, as I like to put it, he became more um, 
I'm trying to find the right the right word. How 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 I best put this? He became more offensively assertive as the series went on. Hundred percent. But what we saw in Game Six, without question, was the best closeout performance of any finals game that I've seen in my lifetime, probably ever. So I'm 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 44. I didn't see Magic in '80, but it was the one that everyone was comparing it to, right? Magic Johnson as a rookie, and that's the difference. Magic was a rookie then. Magic is a rookie. What 42? Or 45 points, yeah, play 45, center, yeah. place of Kareem. Yeah. That, that's you're right. It was it will go down as arguably the greatest closeout performance in the history of the game. And what I noticed between games four, five, and six, but especially game five, because game five, I feel like there are t- there are times that people really overlooked that because Milwaukee really established and clamped down defensively where they had struggled in games one and two, but in game five, they figured out a way, as we talked about, to contain on Devin Booker, but Mm -hmm. also really do a tremendous job defending in the paint. Bobby Portis Jr., an absolute, he wasn't the guy who was going to score 15, 20 points, but he was a guy that whose impact you were going to see defensively. But Giannis just became a whole other monster after his struggles at the free throw line it suddenly clicked. What do you think changed in your mind? In terms of what? Are you talking in term, Giannis? In, in, in terms of Giannis, yeah. Like, in terms of his ability to overcome his struggles of what was plaguing him well, early in the series. Shakari, let's also remember, we weren't sure when we would see Giannis. It was the night that they closed out the finals was three weeks to the day when his knee almost snapped like a chicken wing Just in that so. Atlanta series. Yes. So now all of a sudden, that was what? Game four. That was game, yep. They close out Atlanta in six. You got a couple of days off. You're about five, six days uh, before you play game one of the finals. And the question is, is he going to be able to play? And the answer was yes. All right, he's going to play. But how good is he going to be? Because you don't know. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what his knee is capable of. I mean, his, his leg bent backwards the way it worked out. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think he got comfortable. I think he also knew the moment. I also think he knew again, you learn. So in a series like this, in in any series, you learn so much about the opposition, you know, where they're going to go sometimes before they do. And so you study it, you practice it, you learn, you learn against it. You learn different trends. What's available to me. Where am I best suited in a series? Where can I have, where can I optimize my offensive skills and where can I be at my best? And the more you watch, he knew the specific lanes to go. Like I said, Giannis at the time, there were times in the watch, watch beginning of series then to the end. Giannis would go, try to go straight down the middle Mm. from the top of the key to go ISO one-on-one. That's not where he's best. Bring him off the wing a little bit, bring him from the elbow. Give him an angle. If Giannis attacks at an angle, it's better. He's not LeBron. LeBron, he's going to run you over. Giannis isn't going to run you over. Giannis, he could swallow up. Yeah. So Giannis would learn. Put him on the wings. Give him an angle to the hoop. Let him attack that way. That would be easier. Also, let's be honest. He stopped taking jump shots. He stopped taking jump shots. Giannis was so dominant in the paint. 
that there was no reason for him to be taking jump shots. None whatsoever. There may never be another reason for Giannis Antetokounmpo and the rest of his time in the NBA to take a shot from the free throw line out. Think about it. He's that dominant down low. I mean, there was a point in time in the Atlanta series, John Barry and I were screaming to each other on text. If, you know, if the the Bucks and Giannis takes another three, if there's the old uh, kangaroo court, like back in the day, Giannis is going to be paying a whole lot of people some money. (laughs) Giannis is paying a whole lot of people money. Yeah. So that's kind of what that's, that's kind of where I thought the, the Giannis perspective changed. And then, Look, when you hit game six and you've got a chance to win it on your own home floor, mm-hmm. I was in the building in 2008 when the Celtics beat the Lakers. So I've seen, wow. I've seen the, I've seen the Red Sox win in person in 04. I was in St. Louis. I was working wow. in 2005, which would have been, no, sorry, 2004, February of 04, which would have been the 03 season. I was in uh, Houston when the Patriots. Patriots beat Carolina, but I was working. I grew up I grew up a basketball fan. Basketball was my first love. And when there was a chance for the Celtics to win it at home, I, I, I took all my money, all the marbles and whatever I had. I, I rolled the dice and said, I'm going to game six. There's nothing like winning. Now, back then, that was, you know, a 2-3-2 format. Mm-hmm. This was Milwaukee's only chance to win at home was game six. Yeah. You're not letting that opportunity slide by. And if you're the best player in the playoffs remaining, which Giannis was – you play like it and you do that and you, you carry your team to a win. And it's also Giannis could do it in so many ways. Cause he's so active around the basket mm-hmm. that it's, it, it's, and with, with Phoenix being so small, there was no one there to check him out. There was no one there to box him out. Like he could get offensive rebounds, a ball's hanging on the cylinder. He grabs it. You're back within, you know, it's two point swing right there. Yeah, it's it's Giannis would get a lot of his points on the offensive rebound. That was another thing. Milwaukee realized they could control the offensive glass, and they did. Mm. And w- once they did, it was like series series change. Series over. Yeah. Series over. Series change. And now now take into that, take into DeAndre Ayton getting softer. Take you know, De- as good as DeAndre Ayton was for the for the for what ninety percent of these playoffs. Yeah. The last couple of games proved he's still a young kid. And he still has a lot to work on. I felt bad for him. I mean, everyone on Twitter for game six in that first half is like DeAndre Ayton looks like he doesn't, you know, he can't be there right now. He is so timid and so scared. He got eaten alive by the moment. And I hope it changes because DeAndre Ayton's going to be a hell of a, someone said at the beginning of the playoffs or probably midway through mm. DeAndre Ayton may not be remembered as the best pick in the draft, you know, that best number one pick. Mm-hmm but he's going to be a worthwhile number one pick because he's still in the same draft as Trey Young and Luka Doncic. So you're not going to be the the best player out of that draft, but you're going to be a worthwhile number one pick when all is said and done in his career. When you look back at the NBA season that just was, Mm -hmm. what are three storylines that sticks out to you in your mind that defined the 2020-21 NBA season? Three storylines. Jeez, what are you doing to me, big guy? <laughs> because I'm, 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 I'm here to challenge you, Kevin. That's what I'm. That's what I'm here Appar- to do. Apparently so. <laughs> All right. Well, let's yeah. go. Injuries to stars. Yeah. Hang on. Let's write oh, them yeah. down as I go. I know. Absolutely. I'm just thinking out. I'm thinking out loud. So, so, to, so for those watch, for those players. listening, Kevin is writing down his thoughts, which is very smart. 
Right, exactly. Injuries to star players, mm-hmm. breakout young talent, breakout young talent. And I don't know if I want to put survival of COVID or survival of the rules, if that mixes together with injuries to that's stars. A great, that's a great point. But it kind of, it, it's almost one and of itself. Yeah. The injuries to stars was more about the playoffs. Now, during the regular season, you had teams who would sit people out and you're not sure which team you're going to get or how full or how healthy you're going to get mm-hmm. each um, every night. But in the playoffs, think about how many All-Stars missed time. It was reminding We were up to 10 All-Stars, maybe even 10 All-NBA players mm-hmm. who were missing games. That's a lot. Yeah. I think, oh, what did I come up with? I asked... Out of the eight teams that made that qualified for the conference semis, yeah, mm-hmm. so that puts eight teams at the conference semis. Yeah. All eight of those teams had a star miss miss time. That's nuts. All eight teams that were in the conference semifinals had a player, had a super one of their top. Now here it is. All eight teams that made the conference semifinals had a top three scorer from the regular season miss time in the playoffs. That's hard to do. That's, that's hard to survive. Um, And then during the regular season, it was the management of the roster. Who's available each night. Who can do this? Who can do that? Um, What team am I getting? What are my COVID protocols? Just getting through the season was a big was a big uh, bonus for everybody. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, the breakout of stars. Look, I think you can take breakout of stars and you're going to be able to put that. You're going to be able to put that on that list, on this list for the next decade. Cause I think every year we're going to see young stars and we're going to talk about young stars emerging in this game. This is what this game has become. It is a very young man's game. Yes. And there's, and given the way the rules are, very favored in favor of the offense. Um, you, you teach more individual talent. I mean, look, for, for lack of a better term, we're seeing it in the Olympics with the Olympic team. You're a three-point shooting team or you're an inside game team. There's no mid-range. And that lends itself to, to young stars who want to show off their, their abilities, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of where – so I think the breakout of the youth and just the young individual talent that we see. Absolutely. And right now we're in the midst of what I think is going to be one of the more memorable July 30th, 31st trade deadlines in recent memory in Major League Baseball. And today there were reports that surfaced that the Red Sox, they are in talks of acquiring Max Scherzer from the Washington Nationals and as well as Anthony Rizzo from the Chicago Cubs. So, so the question I'll ask you is, in terms of weaknesses for this Red Sox team that right now is the best team in the American League, the only challenger to that distinction is the Tampa Bay Rays. Which weakness is more glaring in your mind as it pertains to the Red Sox? Is it first base or starting rotation and why? I would, I would always go starting pitching. I would always lean pitching in general, Shakuri. I would always go pitching because – I can remember the Red Sox won with Kevin Millar and Doug McCabe back in the day. Now Millar was Millar could still give you a little something, 
Mikhevich was more of just your defensive replacement. Mm-hmm. You can find a way to hide a guy on, on in your lineup somewhere. Heck, maybe you put him in the seven hole. He draws a walk. Your eight, nine guys roll you through. Next thing you know, you're back to the top of the order, right? You can find a way to do that. And I know Millar wasn't seven. I think he was batting six back in the day, uh, maybe even fifth at times. I think pick, the more arms you have, and I go back to the way Alex Cora managed the 2018 championship series uh, mm-hmm. season. When he, when Alex Cora hits the playoffs, his philosophy is, I don't, you don't have a role. Your job is to get people out when I, t- when I need you. I don't, uh, you, you know, you may not be a ninth inning guy. I may need you in the seventh inning. I may need you in the sixth inning. Heck, if you're a starter, you may only go three tonight because I may need you for the middle for the middle three the next game. The, uh, that's the way I think, Alex, that's the way I think postseason baseball is going to be managed for a long time now going forward. Tampa Bay does it a lot. Mm-hmm. Unless you've got a horse. So let's say you do have a horse and you've got Scherzer and you get, you get Scherzer. Scherzer gives you five. Solid. I'm talking real strong. Well, now you've got options. Hell, he gives you six. That game's shorter. I think the more arms you load up on, and that's what I would watch between now and July and uh, on Friday mm-hmm. at the trade deadline, yeah. which contenders, and there are a ton of contenders. There is not one great team this year in baseball, in part because the Dodgers are dealing with all kinds of injuries, and we all thought they would be the runaway team, but they're not. They've also got one pitcher that, Heck, we don't even know if Trevor Bauer is ever going to pitch again this season. I doubt it. I'm with you. I totally doubt it. I completely yeah. doubt that he's going to be able to pitch again this season, um, given what has transpired with the with the uh, with the assault allegations. Mm-hmm. So there's not a dominant team. The more arms you can add up on and stock up on, the better you are when you hit October. And now, thank goodness we're back to a conventional October this year, with yeah. the way everything's lined up. I am more in favor of loading up on arms, having the quality arms that you need that can get out when you need to. Um, heck, maybe maybe if that Max Scherzer's here, maybe it's Max Scherzer closing out a game six of the ALCS against Tampa, uh, instead, just like Chris Sale closed out the World Series in 2018. Great That's point. something Alex Cora would love to do. So in, in, anytime you ask question, arms v. bats, I'm going arms. And that's such a great point that you made because as you were discussing 2018, I remember instances like Nathan Eovaldi, who yep. was a midseason pickup that season, pitching what six innings and in, in that in that memorable game three of the 2018 World Series that, that went 18 innings. Yeah. And I mean, think about it, if, if he's not here, he was the Wakefield from 04. Wake innings guy, right? Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. the eating of the innings guy. That you needed. If he's not around, what happens in that playoffs? Who the heck knows? But by Avaldi being able to basically pitch a complete game, almost nine innings that night, or whatever yeah. it was, eight or nine innings yeah. in game three on that Friday night, that allowed everyone else to kind of reset the deck, which allows you to win Saturday and Sunday and wrap up the series on Sunday night and five. I got I got an amazing story to share because and I, and I, I definitely want to get your get your story on um from from that night in particular. Now game three, I was at, hammered. 
I, <laughs> and everyone everyone and we had a fire outside right outside this window right outside the sliding wow. glass door we had a fire right outside the sliding glass door sitting around the bonfire and next thing you know we had the game on everyone just starts dropping like flies i got two people who were sitting on my couch right back here who are sitting there like this she carried there like this they go but anyway, and, and, and next thing I'm still going, they all go to bed, and then all wow. you hear is me throw something and go, bleep. I turn everything off, and I, mean, I stayed awake for this whole thing, and they wind up losing in 18 innings. And everyone just started checking out and dropping one that's, by one. That's crazy. But I guarantee I'm not the wow. only one who's got a story like that. I I, 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 I do, but but mine don't, don't necessarily involve alcohol. What made this <laughs> what, what, what made that night? unforgettable was it was a Friday night and I, and I got home early enough to like to watch the game. I was like, okay, here's what can happen. It's Friday night. What else is there to do? I mean, I, right. I live in, I live here in Boston. So everybody's watching the game somewhere, either at the bar. Hey, hey, you're a Yankee or, fan, right? Yes. Die, die hard. I, I, as a baseball fan, no, this, this was you're a, a really, baseball fan too, which is yeah, good. I respect that. Right. Yeah. Like huge, huge baseball fan. But everybody, including my neighbors, there, everybody's watching the game. And I can hear yeah, people yeah. yelling through the windows uh, here in my neighborhood in Brighton. So I fall asleep around the seventh inning. And I'm like, oh, crap, this game's over. I wake up. I'm, I'll never forget this. I'll wake up at 1.30 in the morning. Damn, I'm like, damn, this game's over. Let me see what's going on. Top of the 11th inning, this game is tied. I'm like, huh? <laughs> so, I so i turn the game back on i'm like what the hell's going on uh-huh and then to the top to the 12th we go to the top of the 13th i'm like yep i pass out again and now i wake <laughs> up it's 3 15 in the morning so now it's saturday morning oh yeah and i'm like i'm thinking oh the game's over i'll check my phone we're going to the 17th and i'm like what the so i turn it back on again so, I, so now I, I'm sitting there wait, waiting, waiting, waiting. And then Max Muncy hits the home run. And I'm like, it's and I, I, I've never seen a pitcher walk off the field so emotional like Nathan Eovaldi did, being greeted by Alice Cora, entering the duck yeah. to, go, to go back to the clubhouse. I'm like, that game, some, for some strange reason, told me right then and there, the Red Sox were going to win that World Series because they, they just refused to absolutely mail it in even right. though they could have but they refused to and then the other part of it that you mentioned that was that that was fantastic I want to touch on pitchers not having a role if there is a single pitcher that truly exemplified that it was Chris Sale because how many times have have we seen throughout that postseason although Chris Sale was banged up that we've seen Chris Sale come out of the bullpen or yep. be the, the, the dugout on Chile like he was in game four when the Red Sox came back from being down 3 nothing in the seventh inning to, and going on to win that game. I mean, that whole matchup, I'm telling you, it, it, was, it was truly something. I said something today on today's edition of the Sugar Red Show on 91.5 FM WMFO that this team, for some reason, has 2018 vibes. Would you agree or disagree? A hundred percent on not only 2018, but 2013 vibes, too. Um, 2013 is different. Obviously 13 was built on something for the city. Yes. Uh, with that, with, with that whole instinct, but, but this there, the vibes are there. And again, what helps is 2018, they were a wagon Oh yeah. were the Red Sox. They were a wagon, but 2018, you had two wagons. 
you had the Dodgers and you had the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. If this that it would have been a disappointment had they not made it to the to the World Series that year. This season, that's why I say this is 2013 vibes because 2013 didn't have a great team. There was no dominant team in all of baseball in 2013. I agree. It, it, it was just who can do it the best and who which team refuses to die the least, if you will. Yeah. And and that's kind of what this team is. Also, you're dealing with a team that a year ago had pretty much the same personnel mm-hmm. and was one of the laughing stocks in baseball, which is what 2013 was. Yeah. 2013 was very similar where the team was a laughing stock in 20, 2012. In 2012. It, it, oh right. god, that was that was the whole Bobby Valentine year where exactly oh gosh. Whew. So right, and then, then those are bad, don't we call them the dark times? Yep. Um <laughs> we call them the dark times around me around around here. But yeah, so I'd say 2018 and 2013. I would lean 2013 because of the best team in the in the league. We don't know who it is. Are there really good teams and are there good stories? Yeah. But I mean, I could see, I could let, let's take the AL out of this for a second. Sure. I could see the giants. I could see, hell, can I say this? What if the Mets got Matt, uh, get Max Scherzer? What if the wow. New York Mets get Max Scherzer? Now this also depends on Jacob deGrom. Mm-hmm. I could see the New York Mets doing something. Can the Milwaukee Brewers? I just had them over the weekend when you and I were talking. Yeah, Sox, White Sox. Sox and Brewers. Sorry. Sox. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, now, I could see the White Sox. In fact, I have a ticket on the White Sox at 20 to 1 to win the World Series. So I'm very happy if the White Sox win the World Series because I get paid. That's saying something. That's saying something because when I look at the White Sox and I feel like they are – what I like to call them the ultimate sleeping giant in the American league. Why you look at the rotation, how could you not be impressed with what Lancelin has been able to do this season, considering prior what prior to 2021, what his career has been like a good career, but not dominant. But this year he is one of the big reasons why the white Sox are on top of the AL central. I am talking with Buster only this past Sunday night at Sunday night baseball. And he says, he says to me, Brandon Woodruff and Lance Lynn could win their Cy Young in their respective leagues. And I'm thinking to myself, I said, Buster, 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 wait, you just said what? And But think about it. Look at their numbers. Now, I know Lance Lynn, I'm not sure if he qualifies yet. He was just under the qualifying number for ERA, and he wouldn't leave the American League. It's mm-hmm. close, right? He's, yeah. he's he, he, It's missing it by a couple of innings pitched. But there's – I mean – if, if let's say DeGrom doesn't pitch again and DeGrom's out mm-hmm. and he's out of qualification because he's out with his injuries and, and it's not, and he can't come back and reach the numbers. Brandon Woodruff could easily win the, the national league Cy Young. Could you have imagined a day, a year that we are, you and I are talking and we're talking Lance Lynn and Brandon Woodruff winning the Cy Young in their respective leagues. What? No way. No. Go no find, way. go find odds in Vegas about those before the season. No, no way. Like, if anything, I think one odd could, could be, and this is hypothetically speaking, American League. If you go, if you go back to spring training, pitchers who could possibly win the Cy Young, hmm, Otani or Garrett Cole. Sure, right, exactly. Like, yeah, like those it, are your it, top two. Those are your top two candidates. Your top two betting favorites, hundred percent. Exactly. And in National League, 
you, you, you can't start with uh, the DeGrom. DeGrom and Scherzer. Those, those right. two. But right. but now, or and I want to still stick with the White Sox for a moment because I think what's amazing is the White Sox, despite of everything that they've gone through in terms of injuries, yep, they they have they are still that team that I, I look at the rotation. We were just talking about Lance Lynn, but not to be outdone, Lucas Giolito, and Love then Giolito. And, and, exactly, and then you you talk Rondon. about. Dallas Keuchel as as well, and 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 then you look at the the bullpen. I mean, Liam Hendricks has been absolutely terrific as a, as a close of of the White Sox this season, and he just got back um, Eloy Jimenez as well the other night. And I look at I look at the White Sox and I say, I feel that although the American League right now is headlined by Boston and Tampa Bay, and rightfully so, mm-hmm. but Chicago, the White Sox, they they are. They're like, hey, don't forget about us. Like, like I mean, think about it. Hang on. So think about it. Match up one of those two teams, Boston or Tampa, mm-hmm. versus the White Sox in a five-game series. You're willing to take your chances, right? Yeah. You're, you're easily and that and so that's where this comes back to the beauty of you're back to kind of you've got your wild card. We're, we're going old, we're going back to where we were this year. Mm-hmm. Your wild card game, your five-game division series, your seven-game LCSs. We're doing. We're not doing what we did last year. So everyone, please get that out of your minds. I know people are going to say, "Wait, what happened? What happened?" No, no. We're going back to where we were. Yeah. Anything can happen in a five-game series. Yes. Anything, and that's why I go back to arms. The more arms you have, the better. Because if you've got opportunity to win a game, you don't just sit there and ride your horse, even though he may be flailing and maybe faltering and running out of gas, but you've got to try to get to the finish line with that horse. You bring in the next guy. If I'm Chicago and Tony LaRusta, now this is going to be interesting too, but let me finish the thought. If I'm Chicago Chicago and Tony LaRusta, I bring in a Rondon. Maybe Rondon's my fourth starter. I got a chance to win game one. Rondon closed. Rondon's your eighth inning guy to get you to Hendricks. Or maybe you need Hendricks in the eighth. Rondon closes. This goes back to this. What is Tony LaRusso? Is he going to change how he manages? Because LaRusso was the guy way back in the day for the Oakland A's. 89. You had a sixth inning role. Mm-hmm. You had a seventh inning role. You had an eighth inning role. You're my closer. Tony was old school. Never deviated from it. Sixth inning guy, seventh inning guy, eighth inning guy, closer. Usually mm-hmm. Dennis Eckersley or something like that. Uh, or Isringhausen when he was in Cincinnati, when he was in uh, St. Louis. St. Louis, Excuse yeah. Me. Right, when he was in St. Louis. Does Tony LaRusso adapt to kind of the new age of how the Houston Astros have done it? How um, the, the, the Nationals did it a few years ago, where you bring in different people and how Boston did it. That's going to be very something interesting to keep an eye on in a couple of, in, uh, in a couple of months. How does Tony LaRusso, the old school 70-year, 80-year-old guy, manage his bullpen in the playoffs because he's got some arms. And he's got he's got the opportunity to use different arms in different spots of games. There is this is shaping up to be what's going to be an, a crazy two months, but because we are about to enter the month of August officially. No kidding. And it, 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 it's hard to believe. But I want to fast forward a month and go to September as of September 1st. If you look at the teams that are either in those wildcard spots or just maybe two, three games out of the second wild card spots. 
and say, you know what, that team has a chance to get hot. Which teams would you would oh. you would you select? Because right now, you you if you really think about it, you still got you still got the Yankees that are three and a half games out. You still got uh, you still got other teams in like in the National League, oh, specifically the Padres are right there. Like all, all, all of the San Francisco Giants have really been the shocking team of 2021. Because if you told me that come August 1st, back in spring training, that the San Francisco Giants were going to have the best record on August 1st, I would have laughed at you. Because number right. one, okay, with all the respect to Buster Posey coming back from after opting out of 2020 and Wilma Flores and some of the, the, um, the, vet, the veterans they have in the squad, what, why should I have believed that? That the that San Francisco Giants was going to be the best team in baseball. So, I'll, so the question to you is, what team that is looking right now in, in the wildcard standings do you believe has the best chance to go on a hot run to get into October? Well, so I don't know about that. As a, by the way, I'm pulling up the wildcard standings now. Same. I mean, I I don't trust the Phillies. Their bullpen's terrible. But the Braves, they've been playing well though. I I, I mm, fine. <laughs> You're, you're a minus 24 run differential. You're playing well and it's got you to 500. Congratulations. <laughs> um, I will, I will, I, the, the, the NL central is done. The Padres are certainly a team in the American league. I'll say this, forget, forget looking at team that is, you know, in that scenario. Mm-hmm. I I'll just say this. I don't want to face the Houston Astros. Yeah. Let's let's look at that. Any team that goes up because you're now dealing with the team that has got a boulder sized chip that they're playing with. And it is us against the world mentality mm-hmm. because this is the first full year of everyone hating on them. I know people hated on them last year, but you're you're dealing with half ballparks and, it's and, and, no, and no fans. So, so they really no, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's this is the first year where they're going to feel the us against the world. And I, I say, if there's a team that I don't want to mess around with, let's just call the team, the Houston Astros. Houston. Oh man. I know. And by the way, I know for a lot of people, it's more of, Oh God, them, they still have their individual pride. Yeah. And they still have the individual. You think it was only done because of this. Well, we're going to show you. And they've got an old school manager in Dusty, Dusty Baker. Baker. Oh, fire yeah. Fire you up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we saw what the Astros did last year in the postseason when they took what they take out the A's. Yeah, the A's. Yep. They took out the A's in that in that in that best of three wild card round or whatever it yep. was. Mm-hmm. Um and this is I out of all the teams that we're kind of going through, and again, this goes back to there's no best team. Do I want to face the Padres? No. But I got, but the Astros have got a little something more to be playing with, and to have a six-game lead right now over a pretty good Oakland A team. Yeah, that's the Astros have got. They they're playing with some piss and vinegar. They're playing with some piss and vinegar. Absolutely. And by the way, they they just they just yeah, you're good. They just acquired Kendall Graveman and as yep. and as well as Rafael Montero with a, with the trade with Seattle, which yes. really shocked me because. If you if you really think about it, like Seattle's right there for the wild card, and I know. By, and, and by all accounts, for what I was reading this morning, was that players were angry. Yeah, and, and I, I was. Graven I was, was shocked. Graven was in tears. 
Graven's Graven was in tears. He's like, yeah. wait, I'm going. What, what happened? Like it was it was to the point of we thought as Seattle, we thought we were going to be buyers. Why are we selling? Exactly. You know, and, and that's kind of you know, and, and you wonder what something like that does, what that what that thought process does to a clubhouse, what kind of role and what kind of slump, if any, do, uh, do, do the Mariners go on now? Mm-hmm. Does this is this the prelude to more selling between that na- between now and, and Friday? I would hope not because Seattle right now they are right there. They're not they're not going to come back to win the division. This is this is not 1995 right. all over again. But I do believe that if you if you t- turn on and you told me that hey entering July 30 the 31st deadline that Seattle is only going to be one game back of Oakland for the second wild card spot. Sure. And you're selling off two of your best bullpen pieces? Yep. I mean, if, if I'm a Mariners fan, I have to be asking what are we doing? Poto, what the hell are we doing? I like, agree 100%. Why are we doing this? It, it makes, why, why are we doing this? Wow. Yeah, it's, I'm it's, with you, brother. It's, 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 it just shocks me completely because, listen, I thought Seattle was going to be a much more improved team, and, and they are. And they still may very well get that second – Second wild card and bump out Seattle out of that second wild card spot, but on the National League side, and and I and I made a prediction prior to the start of the season that San Diego was gonna was going to make the playoffs as a wild card. So far, okay. I have not been wrong. They're they're in the second wild card spot, six games ahead of the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, no, but, I, I mean I, I'm look. The, I think I think the West, the Padres, the Giants. Padres, Giants, and, Dodgers. and Dodgers are all going to the playoffs, are all going to the postseason. Which is incredible. Right. When was the last time exactly. you've seen three teams in the same division make the playoffs in the same year? I I have to think maybe. Uh, the Sox, 20- Yanks, Sox, Yanks, and, and, and Rays. Rays are, yeah, I was thinking 2018. Sox, Yanks, and Rays, they might have done it. 18. I think it's happened more than we it, – it, it just looks weird with this double wild card, but there were some times where the Sox, Yanks, and Rays were like the three best teams, um, almost mm. like the three best teams in the American League. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if we even go back to 2018, it might've happened. Who knows? Um, yeah. But yeah, there are times, but it's, it's amazing when I, when I look at when, when I look at the West and it's like, wait a minute. So you got the giants right now in which that they are, they are equally good on the road right. as they are at home. They, they're, they're 31 and 22 away from Oracle park in San Francisco where they're, they're, they're 32 and 15. Right. But you look at the Dodgers and the and the and the Padres as as much as the Dodgers have been banged up and they underperformed, but San Diego, I firmly believe their their pitching their pitching staff is so underappreciated. We yes. often talk about Joe Musgrove. We all we often talk about um we, we we also talk about a couple of other key pieces in that rotation, and I and and I look at them. I say, you know. This is a team that really can make a serious push if you are the Padres. And right now, I do I do wonder this though. I really like Fernando Tatis Jr. a lot, and he is sure. the cog to this club, no question. The only concern that I would have for the um, for the stretch run is can he stay healthy and not miss any more additional time the way he's already missed already. Yeah, I'm with you because the way he swings, he's so aggressive, and you got that shoulder. By the way, the, I think the name you're looking at is you Darvish at the top Hugh of Darvish, that rotation. Yes. Thank Darvish, you. Darvish is outstanding at the top of that rotation, and he's and he has been. Um, I love the addition of Adam Fraser. They mm-hmm. got him over the weekend. 
the the major league hits leader. You can now find you can you know, plug and play him anywhere, but he's a guy you can put in that offense. And Jeff, we played it. You know, we played the cut. Jeff Paston was right. This team is they haven't hit the way we've expected, in part because Tatis has been on the has been injured. Um, I, when they get cranking. I want to see what a Frazier, Tatis, Machado, Cronenworth, top of the lineup. I want to see what that can produce yeah. on a consistent basis. And then also, look, is San Diego done? Do the Padres have another move to make before Friday's deadline? Are they looking for an arm? Do they make a run at Max Scherzer? You I was literally about to ask you that question, that, for real. Oh, okay. hang on. So, look, without knowing pieces that you have to give up and without knowing minor league systems, right? If I'm the Padres, I 100% make a run because you're keeping him away from the Dodgers. You're keeping him away from the Giants if the Giants were thinking about doing it. Yeah. If this is like a three-headed win, and now you get him and you put him at the top of the your top of your staff with a U Darvish. Mm-hmm. That's a great one-two punch with an offense that, as we've said, hasn't clicked fully, but is still pretty damn good. Yeah. So what happens when everything does click? And one last question that I'll ask you before I wrap up the, the episode. October is coming. And is that, is that like winter is coming? Is that the name of this episode? Yes. Fall is coming, but ra- instead of winter, but fall is coming. I'm actually excited. Fall is coming. And the NFL season is in my in my mind, you call me crazy. It started today now that Everybody, all training camps are now in session. You know, you know, we had a few teams that started last week. The yeah. Cowboys, the, the Buccaneers, they started last week and so forth. And there are so many interesting storylines, but one of them, including the new guidelines that the NFL has mandated in terms of its its rules <laughs> pertaining to the unvaccinated players. This, this, by, and by, by no stretch of the imagination, this is a, it's a political question at all. But I do wonder for competitive advantages, if if there is any, how do you see teams now addressing its roster regarding players that are vaccinated and uh, and unvaccinated? Wow, um, that's a deep one. Well, I'll say this: mm-hmm. if you were potentially going to be the fifty seventh man on the roster and you're not vaxxed, but the 58th guy is, the 58th guy is going to move up. You see what I'm saying? I see what you're So mm. if we're looking down our cut list, right? Yeah. We got, we, we dress, we, we dress 45. You've got a field of 53. Then you've got your practice guys, but now you're figuring out uh, where are we fitting and who are we fitting into that 53? Yeah. Let's say 53 is between players 51 and 57. Well, 57 is not is not vaxxed, but 58 is. 57's out, 58 slides up to 57 spot. Mm-hmm. What's happening here with 55? 55 is not vaxxed. He's out. Everyone slides up. Wow. One. I think it affects the bottom of the rosters mm-hmm. more so than the top. I think it's kind of going back to the old Jimmy Johnson, Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman sound asleep in the meeting room. Jimmy Johnson walks by and says, Troy. Need you to wake up, buddy. Player player 48 is sound asleep in the meeting room. Player 48's butt is on the backside. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He's looking for a job. I think it affects the bottom of the roster in that regard more so than the top. 
When it comes to the top and guys like Cole Beasley, he's the only, he's probably, would you agree, probably the most popular, definitely the most outspoken, definitely the most most polarizing non-vaxxed player. So I don't know how this, how it works in regards to players like that. But I think the easiest way, this affects the bottom of the rosters more so right now than the top or the middle. That's probably, Mm. that's my first gut reaction. Do you have a second gut reaction? No, because I think it then dives into a lot of weeds that neither one of us want to get into. Say no more. Also, also, I I do think it is a discussion that needs to be had and can be had. Yeah. I also think it takes more than five minutes. (laughs) Oh, 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 for sure. My my quick thought, thought on it is this. I think especially as like the training as training camp progresses, because we're still at the infancy stages. We have we're still another 100%. week. We're still another week away from the Hall of Fame game in, in Canton, Ohio, where they're right. going to be inducting classes of 2020 and 2021 into into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And now with this new rule it's in stipulations, I do think that teams are going to be looking at players in terms of. How do we how do we like make roster cuts and so forth in terms of okay, is this player willing to oh, to get vaccinated or not? And again, not even going down the political path at all whatsoever, right. but but in terms of realizing the ramification that comes with it, because now one of the stipulations that was made was that if a va- unvaccinated player creates an outbreak on that team, yeah, you 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 still have to play, and and then on top of that. If you can't play, you have to forfeit the game and you lose pay. So well, that's hang on. A- so it's it's not it's not just you forfeiting the game. Your team forfeits the game, like you said, mm-hmm. but both teams lose pay. <laughs> both teams lose. So can you imagine player X is unvaxxed, causes team Y, you know, causes the team mm-hmm. to not play the game. You imagine the opposing team. Oh, the anger. What the hell? The, the rage I mean, and you the anger. Talk about, mm-hmm. You want to talk about someone coming for you and meeting you in the streets. Literally, that, that that's it. Because no 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 man likes to lose pay, especially because of someone else. Correct. Oh, exactly. Oh, absolutely. Which is, which, 100%. Is, which is why I think that's one of the many elements of, of why I think the 2021 NFL season is going to be so interesting. And I don't know how much more time – um, you you have, but but I want to let you go. But I really want to have the opportunity to talk NFL, but didn't get the chance to because we really got deep in terms in terms of baseball. We, did. we got deep in the NBA. Let's let's talk let's talk NFL before the start of the season again, my brother. Absolutely, and, and we most definitely will. Kevin Winner of ESPN Radio, studio host and broadcaster. Thank you immensely for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed our conversation. Totally enjoyed it. Had a blast. We'll do it again, my friend. Absolutely, you got it.